0: You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. We often speak of the church as a family. That's familiar language around here. And uh, part of acknowledging that we are a family is acknowledging that maybe sometimes expectations that we have a family go unmet, or sometimes there's desires of what family should look like that. That doesn't happen does that ring true for anybody is family perfect for you or is family a little bit of a mixed bag family the, the church family we have a perfect father but we have very imperfect brothers and sisters <laughs> am I in the right place we have very imperfect brothers and sisters. We have a perfect father, and we strive to be to be good to each other. We strive to be a, a, a family with, that we that we feel a part of. But sometimes it's hard to connect. Sometimes it's hard to be apart. Sometimes it's hard to feel apart. Sometimes we rub each other uh, a little bit. Um, but our, it is our goal to be a family? So, uh, I know Sean talked about reaching out to hurting and broken people. We are hurting and broken people. But as we welcome Jesus into our life, as we welcome love into our life, as we shape each other, as we sharpen each other, then we go out and and we offer that to other hurting and broken people because we're all hurting and broken. But we want to be a light. Um, I want to talk about family. You see the the title on the top of the the notes this morning, Fighting With My Family. I want to talk about fighting with my family. Uh, We're committed to each other. Um, We want to be committed to each other one of the things we talk about in partnership. We'll have our partner party coming up in November. But as we partner together as the family of NTC Messina, we want to be committed to each other to fight for more, to lean in to conflict. And everybody said, "Nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Why? Why fight for more? Why lean into conflict? Well, because we believe in the dignity of every person, we, we believe that we can show the world who Jesus is by seeing us flourishing, seeing us living the way that we're supposed to live, seeing us being the family that we're supposed to be. I believe that we find greater peace, fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction when, when we're together than, than when we're not. I want to go to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. I'm going to go to a few passages and a few longer passages, but Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is is speaking, and he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Jesus Jesus says, hypocrite, (laughs) first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Do not judge others, uh, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. The word judged here, the word treat, it's it's speaking of um, the the carrying out a judicial process, making a judgment. Uh, The Bible talks about Judging in, in multiple ways, but here when we talk about judging, it's like making a statement, making a condemnation, making a a, a a judgment of somebody. That's God's job. It's not our job to to declare judgment over people. We're not supposed to treat people based upon the judgments that we that we make of them. NT Wright have this in your notes, I think. People set themselves up as moral guardians and critics of one another. What what I think is is happening in this verse is is Jesus is warning us against judging each other, making a judgment about a person. And why? Because the speck that we see in somebody else's eye doesn't compare to the log that we have in our own eye. What is Jesus saying there? I I think he's saying, you got some stuff to work on yourself. Why don't we focus on that? And I I found that as, as I focus on the log in my eye, and I thought about bringing one of my two-by-fours, picked up a bunch of two-by-fours this week, and, and bring it up here and, like, ha- hanging it out there. Just imagine a log. How ridiculous is that? A log in my own eye. As I recognize my own flaws, as I recognize my own mis- missteps, as I recognize my own failings, don't I have a little bit more grace and mercy for other people? It's easy to see everyone else's mistakes, it's not easy to look at your own. It's not easy to see where I'm saying something I shouldn't be saying or I'm reacting poorly or I'm uh, uh, responding in a way that I shouldn't respond. It's easy to see it in other people, but it's harder to see it in our own. But as we look at ourselves, as we look at our own failings, as we look at our own needs, this says, then we can, I love, uh, the English Standard Version says, then you will see clearly the speck in your brother's eye And so the goal of this passage is that we can see clearly so that when we look at people and we see their flaws because we're all flawed, but we can see that clearly and go with compassion. In the Bible in this passage he starts out by saying don't judge but then he gets to a place where you're actually going and helping because that's the goal. the goal is just let's not judge each other and let's just be quiet and not deal with problems. That's not the goal. The goal is we don't condemn people, but we help people. The goal is that we see our own flaws, and then we humbly come and help other people along. I have that quote there on on your notes. The temptation to look down on each other's moral failures is itself a temptation to play God. Why don't we let God be God and the us be us. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 6, flip over a few a few passages. In Luke, um, a lot of the same verses that we just read in Matthew are also in Luke. But before he gets to the log and the speck, he talks about it a little bit differently. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 32. He says, uh, If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will, will lend to others, will lend, will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will, be tru- you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful. I'm sorry. For he, uh, for he is kind to those. See, I wanted, to, I didn't want to accept that, but that's what it says. <laughs> for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave them the following illustration. Can a blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the t- but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrites. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. It's easy to do this for people that it's easy for to do it to, right? It's easy to love the person that's loving you. It's easy to be gracious and gentle, to the person that's being gracious and gentle to you, but he starts out by saying, great, what credit do you get for that? Our call is to do this to everyone, We're a family, but family's tough, (laughs) and we have a a role and a responsibility to play towards each other. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships, our responsibility to one another. So let's talk about fighting with our family and go to Matthew chapter 18 to see what what do we do when there's conflict. Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take that take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt Tax collector. All right, Matthew 18. Let's talk about it. N.T. Wright calls this passage severely practical and ruthlessly idealistic. This is an extremely practical teaching that Jesus is giving. When somebody hurts your feelings, when somebody sins against you, when somebody does something to you, go talk to them. Practical. Yet ruthlessly idealistic because is that what we tend to do is that what we what we tend to do it's it's not I, I would say it's not no most of the time we either pretend that there isn't a problem or we simply avoid the other person I think that's what we tend to do when you have an issue with somebody when somebody says something that hurts your feelings when somebody does something to you we either say oh i'm going to forgive them and then just go away and stew about it <laughs> or We tend to just, well, I'm going to avoid that person from now on. That's the opposite of what Jesus is leading us to do here. I love this quote. Many Christians have taken the paper over the cracks option, believing that this is what forgiveness means, pretending that everything is all right, that the other person hasn't really done anything wrong. That simply won't do. How do we grow in relationship? How do we grow as a family, how do we come together and experience what it really means to be a family? It's by fighting with your family. <laughs> it's by addressing issues. It's by confronting each other in love. The Bible has a lot to say about how we do this. But we have to do it. We can't just paper over. Forgiveness, forgiveness is releasing your role as judge over the person that hurt you. Forgiveness is recognizing this person did something and I'm not going to be the judge over them. I'm going to let God be the judge over them. And then there's a whole other thing, a whole other stuff that we can do. And depending on the situation, you know, there's wisdom in that. But forgiveness is, is releasing the role as judge and letting God be judge and then me doing what I need to do. And so it starts out by saying, go one-on-one. This takes courage and humility. When when your feelings have been hurt, when something has happened, to go one-on-one to that person. It's a lot easier to go one-on-one to somebody else and talk about that, isn't it? <laughs> but Jesus says to go to the person. And it takes humility and courage because how often do we go with our complaint to somebody else and they turn around with a complaint towards us <laughs> that we may need to hear? We need to be open to... Well, maybe there's more to the story, or maybe there's more to what they said. Reconciliation often creates a closer bond than you had in the first place. I've talked about this before, how some of my people that I count my closest friends are are people that I've gone through arguments with. That you when you sit down and you talk about how your feelings were hurt, or you talk about how what they did hurt you, then you can walk away even closer than before. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, that's really what's supposed to happen in marriage because in marriage, it's where you get, tend to get hurt the most. The, person's clo- the people closest to you are the people that have the propensity to hurt you the most. And when we work through that, we grow in that and the, and the marriage relationship becomes stronger. Is this just an exciting word? Just exciting to talk about <laughs> conflict? <laughs> I know. You know, most of the time, It works most of the time, in my experience, and and in leading other people to do this. When we go one on one, not go one on one to a bunch of other people and commiserate and talk about how awful that person is or how they should or, or whatever. But when we when we shortchange that and we go directly to the person and deal with whatever has happened, most of the time. What's the goal of the passage? To win your brother back. To, to find restoration. i found that most of the time that's what happens, but not all the time, is it? And so then we go down to the, to the second step, take one or two others. And to take one or two others isn't go grab somebody that's on my side and take them. No, but when I, when I have an issue, I, I always pick on Sherry, but it's just too easy. <laughs> when I have an issue, I, I'll often talk to Sherry because I know that Sherry is going to say, well, you actually have a problem in, in this relationship. We need friends that'll say, ah, eh, you're not looking at that right. Let's go together. Let's, let's talk about this together. That when it says gather two or three, it's not gather a committee that agrees with you to go confront this person. It's let's get some other perspective. Let, let, let me be shaped in, in my, in my uh, whatever is happening. Does that make sense? And then the very rare case of taking it to the church. And we've talked about what the word church means. It's really just called out ones, called together, assembly of people. There are those times, and they happen very rarely, where we need to talk about something together and deal with it together. And that, I mean, in 40 years as a church, I think we've done that twice. That's not the the goal of this passage, is is not to get to that place where we're dealing with with issues as a corporate body together. The goal is that we deal with issues as individuals, that, that we grow together um, as people. And then I, w- I really want to hit the, the last line in this, or the last part of this. It says, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. I had fun Googling that this week. Actually, I didn't have fun Googling that this week because a lot of the stuff that came up on Google was... Shun them. If, if they're not going to listen, shun them. Remove them from your life. They're anathema, or they're, they're, they're out. But I have a question. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He loved them. Who, who wrote this? What's the title at the top of your, of your paper? Matthew. Matthew wrote these words down for us to have. Jesus spoke them, and Matthew wrote them down. And Matthew was a tax collector Matthew was a tax collector and he's saying now if they don't hear you treat them like a tax collector that's a little close to home for him what I think and this is, I'm just going to give you my thoughts on this is we treat somebody who doesn't see, we treat them like they don't know they don't know they don't know any better or they haven't learned it yet and then what do we do? We still show them love. We see this play out in, in Corinth, in, in, the, in the letters of the Corinthian church. Later on in the New Testament, Paul writes a series of letters. He writes a bunch of letters, more than we even have in, in, our, in our Bible. But he writes a series of letters to a church in the city of Corinth. And you can look it up later in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But in, in Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a pretty big issue in the church. Uh, you can read it yourself, but there's an issue in the church where a guy is sleeping with his with his with his husband's wife he's having an affair with his husband's wife I don't want to know any more information about that but it, but seemingly the church isn't doing anything about it and so Paul is saying, what are you doing? you got to deal with this you got to deal with what's happening in your midst and he kind of criticized the church a bit he says you have to let them go. Like, kick that person out for a season. Let, let them be handed over. You know, deal with this issue. And then later in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe that's what it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Well, let's go there, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because we often, I hear people talk about Paul telling them to kick this guy out of the church. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, is that what it is? Did I write down the wrong verse? (laughs) Hmm. So happens when you write down the wrong verse. I'll tell you what it says. We can find it later. He says, Love him and welcome him back. The goal is restoration, the goal is to see people. Be confronted by whatever it is that they need confronted by, and then to overcome it and to be welcomed back. But that's the goal. So, the goal in this passage in Matthew 18, whether you're going one on one to the person, or you gather a, a number of people to go and deal with an issue, or it becomes an even bigger issue, the goal is restoration. Paul tells us, what is it? 2 Corinthians 5? 2 Corinthians 2 5. How come mine doesn't say it? I'm not overstating when I say that man. Oh yeah, it is it. I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. That's the goal. To reaffirm our love for each other. The goal of this passage, the goal of these passages is to win that person back, or the English Standard Version says, to gain a brother. We want to be a family. But we have to acknowledge that family is tough. And it's hard sometimes to find your place, to find your part, to find where you fit. We need to keep working at it. Being a family means we're committed to keep working at it to keep trying, to keep putting ourselves out there, to address when there's issues, to, to bring stuff up. To I love that Sean said, put a criticism on the card. I'll, I'll look forward to reading those this week. <laughs> um, but we want to shine a light on it. If there's stuff that we're bugged about, let's talk about it. Let's, let's go there as a, as, a, as a family. Let's go there as a church. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to let you out early today, I think. Preachers say that, and then it never happens. We'll see. (laughs) Galatians chapter 6. Make sure I got the right verse again. I'm in Ephesians. That doesn't help. There we go. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. Leave this one up for a second. Don't pull this one down. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. (laughs) I love Paul. (laughs) If you think you're too important to go there, or it's too inconvenient, or you don't have time, you're not that important. We owe it to each other to go there, to build relationship. Ruthlessly idealistic, N.T. Wright said. Very practical, but ruthlessly idealistic. We have a responsibility to one another to overcome conflict and to build our family, I want to. I want to read a series of passages I have in your notes. I asked, I told JJ we weren't going to show them on the screen, but in your notes I have just a, a bunch of bold passages. And if you Google the one another's in Scripture, there's a whole lot more than come up. But I just want to read these. The Bible has to say, Mark chapter nine, live in peace with one another. That's a challenge it says over and over again love one another john 13:34 john 15:12 12. romans 12:10 12, says take delight in honoring one another romans 12 says live in harmony with one another romans 15 accept each other romans 15 teach each other 1st corinthians 16 greet another with a holy kiss i don't know what to do with that one but it says it like three or four times Galatians 5.13, serve one another. 1 Corinthians 11.33, when you come to eat, wait for one another. I, I was gonna say this, we, we, we do this as a, as, a, as a family when we gather around the dinner table at night. We, we wait for each other and we try to wait until we all have something on our plate before we dig in. I'd like to say that I got that from the scriptures, but it's just proving that it's a good idea. <laughs> I didn't know that one was there. Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens. Ephesians 4:2 be patient with one another making allowances for each other's faults. Ephesians 4:32 be kind to each other tenderhearted forgiving one another. Ephesians 5:21 submit to one another. First Thessalonians 5 encourage each other and build each other up. First Thessalonians 5:13 live peacefully with each other. Hebrews 10 24, motivate one another to acts of love and good works. James 4.11, don't speak against one another. And James 5:16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. The Bible has a lot to say about how we treat each other, how we love one another, how we live at peace with each other, how we serve, how we are patient, how we submit to each other, how we encourage how we motivate each other, how we don't speak against one another. But it's a challenge, isn't it? I, I even, as I was preparing this week and just thinking about sharing this, just realizing that this is not, this isn't easy. This isn't what we do. We tend to just paper over the cracks, sweep it under the rug, avoid. But is that what we really want? Maybe it is. It's easier. But I think... We 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 deserve more. We all deserve more to be a part of something even better. That's what we're fighting for. Fighting with our family. That's what we're fighting for. The people that are going to help with communion, I invite you to come up. And band can come on up. I am getting done early. We'll take a few minutes with communion. But First Corinthians eleven, twenty three. Paul's giving some instructions. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Jesus is headed toward the cross, and he's with his His closest friends, and he's even with a friend that's going to deny him. He's in the middle of, of knowing that what is coming, that Peter's going to deny him. Peter's going to say that he doesn't even know who he is. Judas is going to betray him. But he looks at his friends, and he's about to sacrifice himself. He's about to have his body broken and his blood spilt for all of us. And he uses the bread and and the cup that have been used so many times throughout Scripture. He uses the bread and the cup to illustrate what is going to happen and what's going to be something that we get to look back to. Then he broke it in pieces, the bread, and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. The body and blood of Christ. Paul says, we are the body. Let me read that passage again. We don't like to highlight this one very often. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body, the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I wanted to focus on that this morning as we come to the table, as we come to the bread and, and, the, and the cup, the juice, and we recognize what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, that he paid the ultimate price and, and, and died for us, that took all of our sin, our guilt, our shame on him to offer us his righteousness so that we can have life Paul is encouraging us to look at that in a sobering way and saying, Are we doing this but not loving each other? Are Are we identifying with Christ but not going there with each other? Papering over the cracks, not dealing with things, ignoring people. It's a challenging thought. This is challenging. invite you to stand with me this morning. And what I what I hope for all of us is that as I'm sharing this, as we read these passages, that the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind of something that you gotta deal with, of somebody that you need to go there in relationship, to to address a hurt, address a sin, address a fault. For the purpose of restoration, for the purpose of harmony, for the purpose of restoring that relationship, we have to do that. Otherwise, we're identifying with Jesus, but it's not very beautiful. We want to be a beautiful family for the North Country. We are a beautiful family for the North Country, but I think we all could use a little bit more. We want to be a picture of jesus showing his love showing showing what it looks like to forgive showing what it looks like to restore showing what it looks like to walk in harmony even when it's tough So i'm going to invite you in just a moment to come up and, and grab the bread and, and juice and at the front table not at the back of the front table there's some of those pre-packaged ones if anybody wants to use those there's also uh gluten-free uh bread as well um but just in this moment, ask the Holy Spirit, God, what do you want me to deal with? What's, what's a relationship that you want me to go there with to, to make better, to not just let it be? What's an area in my life, that God, that you want to highlight so that as we live outward, as we, our body is broken and blood is poured out for others, it's a beautiful thing that people are just so attracted to they can see the love of Jesus in us. Holy Spirit, we just open up our minds to you right now. We open up our souls, our spirits. God, help us to see what you have for us, where you want us to grow, where you want us to be challenged, where you want us to be stretched. Let us lean on you today. I want you to come and, and grab a bread and juice, and we'll come back together in a minute. sat there for a moment, the thought that I was having was, I don't want to settle for what we got. I want more. As a church, as a a community of churches, as a people, as a family, I want more. I want more love, more peace, more joy, more contentment. And I think you do too. But it takes work. It takes working it out. And I love messages like this when after we'll see people congregating or people come up to me and you'll wonder, I wonder what they're addressing. <laughs> it's good. Jesus broke his body and shed his blood for us so that he can offer his righteousness to us because we are not righteous. But we get to exchange our brokenness for his righteousness. And then I, I love how Jesus phrases this. I love it how Paul writes this, that we get to do this in remembrance of him. That doesn't mean the act of celebrating communion is in remembrance of him, but it's the breaking our body and shedding our blood for one another that's in remembrance of him. That as we, as we go there with each other, as we show the world what he is like, as we serve each other, as we serve the world, Jesus will be made known. night that he was betrayed, Jesus himself took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why don't we take the bread? In the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant between God and people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Forgiveness being offered to the world. Jesus drawing all people to himself. Jesus offering light and life and love and hope and peace to all of us and to every person everywhere. That's what he did this for. He took the cup. He said, do this in remembrance of me as you drink it. Go ahead. We get to do this. We get to fight with our family, to have a better family, to be a better witness, to show love to the world. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about house churches and small groups and Launching a new semester uh, mid-September because house churches, small groups, small gatherings—you know—it's hard to really shape each other and sharpen each other and have a relationship when you all are just looking at me. But when we get around a table, when we get around a living room, and we do life together, this is where this stuff really happens. This is where our life really happens. Where we address things, where we where we grow together. And so we want to we want to be a church where we gather. Corporately every Sunday and worship together and celebrate together, but where we are living with each other in smaller groups. And so if you if you've never been a part of a house church or if you've done a house church in the past and you want to lean in, I invite you to come and talk to me. We're looking for people to, to start new house churches, to start new small groups, to start focus groups, prayer groups, outreaches. We want everybody to be a part of a smaller group of people, to be a part of the family so that we can be together think about that we're going we're to launch that coming up but I challenge you, say God what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to welcome into my home? Who do you want me to help make somebody feel a part of our church of our, of our, of our body? Bernie came up to me just a few minutes ago and mentioned that, that last night Dave Broadbent's father passed away unexpectedly Dave is close to his father and I didn't know that I just want to, as a church, just pray for Dave, for the Broadbent family. Can we do that? There's so much. There's so much we can pray for. But, God, we just thank you for, so much for who Dave is, God, for how he leads us in the area of prayer, how he how he is such a good friend and a good part of our church. God, we just ask that right now, as Dave is down with his family, God, that you bring peace into their home. That you bring peace into Dave's heart, God, as, as the loss, as the, as the ache, just, just, settles in, God, that He is overwhelmed with your joy and peace in the midst of it, God, that He's able to celebrate His Father, that He's able to show hope and life to all those around Him. Just bring peace to Dave right now, in Jesus' name, Amen. We need to carry each other's burdens. We also need to celebrate together. How's that sound? All right. It's eleven twenty-nine, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, I'm not going to make you go back into a chorus. No. Usually we're like, let's go back and sing another song. Let's just enjoy each other. Take a few moments as, as you leave. Don't beeline it for the door, but just shake a hand. Say something to each other. Just love on each other. Let's be the family. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.